Oh God, we come before you, your people this morning, and we just want to say how wonderful, how beautiful you are. We love you and we thank you that you have come and changed our lives. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for all the forgiveness, the new life, the hope that we have found through putting our trust and faith in Jesus. And God, we just thank you for sending him. Thank you for changing our lives. We're new people. We're transformed. And we give you praise this morning. And God, as we gather together, we want to pray as uh, your people living in this state of Victoria and in this region and in these areas. And God, we are just praying now for our state. We, we lift up our, our prayers and our hearts to you for those that are in dry areas where the bushfires are just running uh, so um, out of control in many areas. God, we pray, pray for places like Chess Hunt and for uh, King, King River. God, we pray for people there. We pray for so many other areas that are uh, in danger of being burnt. We pray for the firefighters. We pray for those that are helping support them, uh, people that are planning strategies. God, we would just pray that you give these guys strength and wisdom at this time. And Lord, we would pray to you. We would ask that uh, there would be rain and there would be a good, good change in the weather. God, we pray that the wind that, that's been forecast wouldn't be as strong today and there would be relief for so many people. Oh God, we thank you that you made the heavens and the earth. You're all powerful. You're all mighty. You're all knowing. And we ask you today, God, please bring relief. And God, whatever happens, we trust in you. Our trust is in you. Our hearts are yours completely. And we surrender to you in everything. Oh God, tonight we surrender to you. As so many people come, as we gather again to um, put on the, this, this performance of the Christmas rescue, we pray that tonight would be such a significant night in the life of this community and in the life of this church. We pray that many people would realise and really get it that it is all about you, Jesus, and life without you is just not worth living. Oh God, we pray that tonight uh, there would be a real sense of you speaking clearly to people. And we pray for everybody involved and we give thanks. You're a great God. We love you, God. And we thank you for hearing our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. Give her a big round of applause as she comes out now. Thanks, Gwen. Great. Good. Good morning. I'm Gwen McShay. I just have something I'd like to share with you today to remind you of what a wonderful God we have. To God be the glory and great things he does do. As God said, let them who that have ears, let them hear, which might be rendered, let those who have eyes, let them see. God confirms his love for me every day, in every way. Some people believe in coincidence, but I believe in the Holy Spirit. And as my friend said, God has a full-time job with me. And she was so right. And I humbly say, thank you, Lord. I had been doing a lot of travelling back and forth to Ballarat to family for various reasons since November, no, September the 29th. <coughs> On Friday the 3rd of November, five weeks ago, I was returning home via Dalesford, Castlemaine, Bendigo, Shepparton, Yarrawonga and Rutherglen. Anyone who knows that trip knows that there are a lot of sweeping bends 
especially between Shepparton and Yarrawonga. <coughs> when I got near Mount Pryor Vineyards, not far from the Howlong Bridges, I came out of a sweeping bend and I got into the dry, soft gravel. I lost control. <coughs> but praise God, there were no oncoming, oncoming cars. But there was a big tree. The policeman said I overcorrected. I guess I didn't want to hit that tree. The car tipped over on its side and spun around in the dry grass a complete turn. I was thrown around. I didn't know where I landed, which way I was facing. But I thank God for seatbelts. The car was a quite a write-off. But God, who confirms his love for me every day, was with me as usual. And I only had a few bruises. And he is with me every day in everything I do, proven many, many times. The night after the day I buried my love, lovely husband, the Lord gave me this reading from Hebrews 13, verse 6. Never will I leave you nor forsake you. And God has been true to his word. My comforter, my all in all, and here in the love of Christ I stand. All praise and glory be to God Almighty. My prayer for you all is that you be open to the Holy Spirit's prompting as he puts things in your mind and your heart. May God bless you richly as he has me over and over again. Praise be to God. Us this morning and come let us adore him. As we move closer to Christmas, I want to ask you this morning, um, are you ready? Are you ready for Christmas? Do you know, uh, sometimes we get some signs clearly given to us when something significant is about to happen. I mean, some of the clearest um, and most dramatic examples of this was in the tsunami. Um, you know, though it caught many people off guard, there were some significant signs that took place that the observant um, bystander could have recognised if it acted quickly. Um, there was an earthquake. That was the first sign. And then uh, a dramatic... Um, the tide moving right out really dramatically. And uh, this was signs that some big change was about to happen. And when the tsunami hit, it hit with devastating force. Bushfires. We're now experiencing so many of them here in Victoria. But people have talked about the possibility of bushfires happening in our state because of the dryness of our, um, of our landscape. For some time now, the dry conditions have pointed and put signs to the dangers that were ahead. And as we've read the weather reports of hot, hot temperatures and, and hot and blowing winds as well, we've been in many ways seeing signs of what might have been coming. As we've um, looked out and seen our skies filled with smoke, it's been a sign that they're, they're not that far away. Apparently, yesterday in Melbourne, I read in the Herald Sun today that they, they had such strong 
uh, smoke there, that they were just inundated in the emergency lines of people saying, there's smoke everywhere and the fire's close, so the fire's close. Because, you know, sign, people were looking at the signs and thinking it was close. And sometimes falling ash, sometimes, you know, fire engines, sometimes firefighters coming around your yard are clear signs that the fire is getting closer and closer. Changes are coming. On a more positive note, my daughter is preparing for a big change in her life. She's starting school next year, and if you look around our house, there's some clear signs that change is on the way. <laughs> She's got a new uniform, some new black shiny shoes. Just the other week, she brought home artwork from her orientation day, pre-prep orientation day. And uh, she showed me in her room this big chain that she'd made at orientation day. And it's just got all these links in the chain. And she said, Dad, what I have to do is pull off one link every day after the start of the year. She didn't explain it. Mum explained a bit more of that later on. But she said, I've just got to take one of these off and then it's time for school. So there were some changes, some signs, some things that she was given that were showing that one day this event will arrive which is exciting and is great. You know, Christmas has signs too, doesn't it? Just the uh, other day, I uh, walked our dog through our streets at night and lights were out. People were decorating their houses saying Christmas is coming. The stores are stocked with goodies and presents and uh, Christmas musicals begin. Christmas is coming. The signs are there. I ask, how are you preparing for Christmas this year? I'm not talking about are you sending Christmas cards or have you got the family Christmas letter done. I don't mean are you wrapping presents or buying food. I'm asking, how are you preparing for Christmas, for the celebration of Christ coming into the world? How are you opening your heart to him at this time, your life to him? How are you putting your faith your plans, your future into Jesus' hands, into God's care. Today we're going to have a look at uh, Luke chapter 1 and we're going to see how God was clearly giving signs that he was about to break into this world in an incredible way. And for the observers of Luke chapter 1, we can realise that there were clear signs there that God was about to do an amazing thing. Let's turn there together, Luke chapter 1. And if you have that opened with you, that will help as we go through. We're not going to go through the whole chapter, but we'll go right up to verse 38 this morning. Uh, Luke begins his gospel uh, by sharing with us his purpose for writing the Gospel of Luke. He writes and he begins in verses 1 to 4, Most honourable Theophilus, many people have written accounts about the events that took place among us. They used as their source material the reports circulating among us from the early disciples and other eyewitnesses of what God has done in fulfilment of his promises. Having carefully investigated all of these accounts from the beginning, I have decided to write a careful summary for you, to reassure you of the truth of all that you were taught. Luke begins by saying, hey, some significant events have taken place on this earth. 
I've been around and I've heard the accounts and I want to record them. I'm talking to people that have written about them. I'm talking to eyewitnesses. I'm carefully researching them. And the purpose I'm doing that is to bring this summary to assure readers that Christ, what Christ taught is true. He writes to Theophilus and his identity has to remain a mystery to us. But in Luke's eyes, he was a person who was a person of substance and distinction. Someone who was acquainted with Christianity but needed to know more. And perhaps he'd expressed considerable interest. And so Luke writes this account to inform him and let him know all about what Christ had done. And here, he begins the whole story about the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, by talking about the foretelling of the birth of John the Baptist. Let me read uh, with you this, uh, this account. Why don't you follow along from, one to 20, from 5 to 25. It all begins with a Jewish priest, Zechariah, who lived when Herod was king of Judea. Zechariah was a member of the priestly order of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commands and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was barren and now they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary and burn incense in the Lord's presence. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. Zechariah was in the sanctuary when the angel of the Lord appeared, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was overwhelmed with fear, but the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah, for God has heard your prayer, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. You are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice with you at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. You must never touch wine or hard liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit um, even before his birth. And he will persuade many Israelites to turn to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah, the prophet of old. He will precede the coming of the Lord, preparing the people for his arrival. He will turn the hearts of fathers of the fathers to their children, and he will change disobedient minds to accept godly wisdom. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I know that this will happen? I'm an old man now. My wife is also well along in years. The angel said, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was, it, it was me... It, sorry, it was he who sent me to bring you this good news. And now, since you didn't believe what I said, you won't be able to speak until the child is born, for my words will certainly come true at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realised from his gestures that he must have seen a vision in the temple sanctuary. He stayed at the temple until his term of service was over and then he returned home. Soon afterwards, his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind is the Lord, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no 
children. As we look here in this passage, we've got to look for the signs that God is at work. And uh, I think we can look today and to say in our lives, what are the signs that God's moving and working in our life? I think the other thing we've got to look is for what are the kind of characteristics that God either uses or gets displeased with in the people that are in these narratives today. And I think we should ask, what kind of characteristics do we want to have if God is going to work in our lives in ways where he's able to use us greatly? And I think um, we've just got to also look at this passage and think, what are the significant of, of the events that are taking place? First of all, we see that there are people mentioned in this story. And who are they? Well, there's Zechariah and Elizabeth. And we're told about them in this passage that they were an exemplary couple, a couple who had received the grace of God and had just received it in large measure. They were godly people. Zechariah, he was an ordinary priest. He was one of an estimated 8,000 priests who lived in Palestine in that time. And the priests were divided according to an arrangement that was first instituted a 1,000 years earlier under King David's uh, reign and it was reconstructed as 24 divisions under the Babylonian captivity. Now each division of priests had about 300 in them of those 24 and uh, Zechariah's division that he was part of was the 8th division of Abijah and um, this 8th division of Abijah served for uh, two one-week periods per year um, as did the others. So there were 56 priests who were chosen to participate each day, one in the morning and one at night um, throughout the year. And what happened is, um, th- this is, this is what was happening. He was there uh, serving and ready to serve. You know, the name Zechariah uh, is a, well, it was a popular priestly name. And the meaning of his name is, the Lord has remembered. And what a prophetic name he would have because this would be uh, dramatically experienced in the uh, prophecy that's going to come to him now through the angel. Elizabeth was also uh, of priestly descent. She, uh, she was one who had the same name as Aaron's wife and significantly her name pointed to the promise keeping of God also. Both Zechariah and Elizabeth were upright in the sight of God. Verse 6 points that fact out to us. You know, this doesn't mean that they were sinless. No, it doesn't. But it means that their lives conformed to God's law. Um, And it says that in verse 6 as well. They were people who were magnificent examples of godly people who bloomed in the Jewish religious system. I think it's significant, isn't it, to think who God would begin to move amongst were two people that loved God and sought to obey his word and to live by his commands. They were people who really loved reading the scriptures and honouring God. Their lives were submitted to him. I want you to notice here that Zechariah and Elizabeth lived lives that were submitted to God in faithful service. He was a priest and he was serving God the best way that he could. You know, their house, I think, surely would have enjoyed the happiness that comes when both husband and wife are righteous people. The question for us must be asked then, what kind of life am I living? 
Am I someone who loves God's word? Am I someone whose my life is submitted to God and, and seeking to obey his commands in everything that I do? God came to this couple and he came to Zechariah as he was living a godly life and seeking to obey his commands. Although they might have, have a righteous home, there was one thing that was a big problem for the, this couple. They'd not been able to have children. Now, in any culture, infertility is uh, just a, an aching disappointment. And for some people, it's almost an unbearable stress when they find that they're unable to have children. But, you know, how painful that is. Uh, in, the, in the ancient world, it carried stigma that doesn't seem to be around today. It was, uh, in the Hebrew culture, barrenness was considered a disgrace. It was considered even a, a punishment for people who weren't able to conceive. For example, you can look at Hagar and how she looked down on Sarah when, uh, when Hagar conceived, but Sarah remained barren. That was in Genesis 16 and verse 4. And, and you'll remember Leah, who referred to her former uh, barrenness as a misery, she said. In Genesis 29:32, and remember how infertile Hannah she she wept bitterly in 1 Samuel chapter 1 about her barrenness. Barrenness can even uh, carry even carried in those times a moral stigma because Jewish thinking people saw that it was a fate that didn't fall upon those who were righteous. So. Not only was she unable to conceive, but undoubtedly Elizabeth suffered smug reproach from religious people. Uh, she's going to call her barrenness, her disgrace in Luke 1.25. Do you know, it just strikes me that for many people, when things go wrong in our lives, we turn our back on God. Uh, you know, sometimes we come to Jesus and it's as though we say, now that I'm putting my trust in you, Jesus, I expect you to make everything go right in my life. Uh, sometimes we kind of almost barter with God to say, now I'm putting my trust in you. I want you to sort everything out for me. But I think God wants us to trust him in all of our circumstances, no matter whether they be good or or challenging or difficult. And I think as we look at Zechariah and Elizabeth, we see people that have been through the aching sorrow and sadness and stigma that's attached with that of not having children. And yet we see them as holy, godly, godly righteous people. You know, not sinless, but people that honoured God in their lives. What a testimony to people who suffer yet trusting God. I just want to say this morning, maybe you've been getting mad at God. It could be that you are unable to have children and that's been a block to your faith with God. And, and I just want to say, it doesn't have to be that way. Trust God right in the midst of what you're facing and don't cut him off when things go wrong. It might be for you that there's been, you're, you're single and you've been saying, God, I've been praying so much for you to give me a life partner who, who I can you know, marry and, and, and live with for the rest of my days. And perhaps you've been, there's been a block to you and God. You know, Elizabeth and Zechariah show here that although circumstances didn't work out for them at this time, 
they still honoured God, submitted to him and loved him. If it's for you, finding a job, or maybe there's difficulties that you're facing and you're thinking, God, I'm trusting in you. Why isn't everything working out? He never promised that he'd just make life work out perfectly for you. In fact, sometimes he uses our most difficult situations to draw us closer to him. And at this time, whatever you're facing, God wants to be part of it. He wants you to trust him in the midst of it. He wants you to be there, ready to submit to him in everything. So what was the occasion? Uh, I I want you to uh, notice that uh, in in verse 8, it says that Zechariah was in the temple, in God's temple. Here he's, he's chosen uh, to enter the sanctuary and burn incense. So the people, Zechariah and Elizabeth, the occasion where he's chosen by Lot to go into the sanctuary and to burn incense. This was a high honour for him as a priest because of large numbers of priests, most would never be chosen for such a duty. Uh, There was no one who was permitted to serve in this way twice. You could only do it once. And Zechariah, no no doubt, regarded him as being selected by Lot out of the 300 in the two weeks that they were on to serve and to to offer incense in in this way was was just a... supreme moment in his life. This was a high point in his career and he would have been just thrilled. The incense was kept burning continually just in front of the veil that divided the holy place from the most holy place. And the lone priest would offer the incense every morning and every evening. And while the rest of the priests were outside and the rest of the worshippers stood outside and they were in the, in, praying while this took place. So what actually happened? Well, Zechariah walks in and his heart is excited and stirring because of the privilege that he's got. And he would have had the incense and the fragrance all around him. But suddenly his heart just starts pumping like crazy because he, he sees right there in verse 11, Zechariah was in the sanctuary when an angel of the Lord appeared standing to the right of the incense altar. altar. And Zechariah, it says, was overwhelmed with fear. This is a normal reaction when people come face to face with an angel of the Lord. uh, It says in Judges chapter 6 and verse 22 and 23 that when Gideon uh, saw that it was the angel of the Lord that came to him, he exclaimed, Ah, sovereign Lord, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, don't be afraid. You're not going to die. Gideon's reaction was, oh, I'm going to die. He was so afraid. And when people in the Bible have come face to face with the angel of the Lord, it's overwhelming for them. And the angel of the Lord was, was Gabriel. And he speaks to Zechariah in this way. He, he, he says, um, you know, don't be afraid, Zechariah. And I reckon you must have need that assurance, don't you? Um, don't be afraid, Zechariah, for God has heard your prayer. And I don't think this was the prayer that he's talking about for a child. I don't think Zechariah was even praying for a child. I reckon they knew they were both so old that even the hope of having a child anymore, they were on in years, was gone and past them. The hope of ever holding a little baby had slipped by them, slipped through their fingers. And I think the prayer that he would have been praying right there at that time was for the, the, the saving of Israel. I think he would have been crying out for the redemption of Israel. And never would he have dreamed that God would answer his prayer 
by giving him a son who would help bring about the redemption of Israel by preparing the way for the Lord. So a son is promised. What a bombshell for Zechariah. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you will name him John. That's in verse 13b. John means God has been gracious or God has shown favour. This is a prayer that's been offered uh, in grace and favour and that prayer has been heard and answered by giving a son that, is, that has that name. A gracious gift will come from Elizabeth's dry womb. What would this son be like? What would the, it's, his character be like? Well, he goes on to say, you will have great joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. You know, John would be the personal delight of his parents. They would love having this son and he would be the public delight of people all around and he would bring joy because he had a great inner soul, inner strength. John the Baptist would have a great heart. Jesus would say of him, I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Matthew 11, 11, it says. You know, next to Christ, Zechariah and Elizabeth's son would have uh, developed a soul, a heart, a passion for God that was second to none, not even Abraham, Joseph or Daniel. What a joy he would be to his parents. So that was his character. What about his spiritual formation? How would he grow to be this kind of person? Well, it says here that he must not touch wine or hard liquor and that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. So what he, what he was saying was he, how he would develop into this kind of child would be by taking a Nazarite vow. He would be a man that would be set apart by the disciplines that he lived for God. Uh, he would never take strong drink. He would never cut his hair. He would never touch a dead body. His inner life would be a testimony to the world because of the way that he had disciplined himself before God. You know, I think today so many people say, God, I want to be used by you. I want to be someone who can do great things for you. But I just can't get out of bed in the morning to read your word. Uh, you, you know, it says here that his heart was, was, was strong. It says that he was, he was a, a, a man um, you know, that God was, was going to use. It said he would be great in the eyes of the Lord. Why? Because he would take upon himself these vows and, and live the disciplines before God. And I think that for us, reading our Bible, praying, being those that continually spend time in rest as well as work, serving, uh, using our gifts, being people that are disciplined in the way that we live our lives, that's the way that God works his spiritual maturity in our lives. It just doesn't come from hanging around. It comes from making some clear decisions about when and how you're going to read God's word, when and how you're going to pray, when and how you're going to be part of his family and serve him, when and how you're going to be led by his spirit and not your own self-thinking. John was going to be used greatly. He'd be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. That's verse 15c. Such a total invasion by God's spirit was unprecedented. This had never happened before. John's filling was prophetic. 
uh, of the filling that the Holy Spirit would bring to all people who put their trust in Christ. What an extraordinary uh, son John would be. He would usher in the new way that God would write his law on people's hearts, would give them a love, uh, help them love him in the way that he loves us. What an incredible gift to upright Zechariah and Elizabeth. What would John do? Just quickly, John, it says in verse 17 and 16 and 17, and he will persuade the Israelites to turn to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah, the prophet of old. He will precede the coming of the Lord, preparing the people for his arrival. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and he will change disobedient minds except to accept godly wisdom. Here, uh, what, what um, Gabriel takes up are the last two verses in the Old Testament talking about the coming of the Lord. And he's talking about John coming in the spirit and power of Elijah. It, it says there in Malachi 4, 5 to 6, uh, he, he, at the end of the, in the Old Testament, he says, Look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. The prophet Elijah, we know, he had condemned people that had turned their backs on God and walked away from him. He'd, he, he had withstood the prophets of Baal, those that had, had stood up for other gods. He just, he just stood up against them and he'd, God had rained down fire from heaven on his behalf. And John the Baptist would minister in the same spirit as Elijah. As John preached, people would hear and repent and the hearts of fathers would be turned towards their children and children's hearts would be turned towards their parents as well and there would be uh, understanding within families. You know, the word of God, when God's word is preached, when the gospel is proclaimed, lives, hearts are changed. Our families are different when we hear the good news and apply it in our lives. Uh, when, when we hear God speaking to us, he transforms our hearts and helps us live the kind of lives that he wants us to. John's ministry would help affect the hearts of people so much that homes would see fathers turning towards their children. It would be the opposite of what happened when Eli and uh, Samuel and David live their lives in a way that didn't do that. This is what marks the preaching of God's good news today, the hearing of his word. What's Zechariah's response? Well, Zechariah said to the angel, how can I know this will happen? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Not a good answer, Zechariah. He's supposed to be a godly guy and you know, he should have known better. It's a woeful response, really, isn't it? Like, here's a few reasons just quickly why he shouldn't have answered that way. He knew the scriptures and he knew that God had come in this way before and that he, he would have believed that he could do it again. Secondly, you know, he's a priest. He's not an atheist. He's actually someone who believes in God. He was a man of God. And thirdly, he was offering prayer in the temple on the most important day of his life on behalf of all Israel. And, and finally, I think he was confronted by a supernatural being. And when that kind of thing happens, bringing a message from God, it's probably not a good idea to doubt it, don't you think? And yet he did. He doubted that. And uh, the angel gets a bit grumpy, I think. 
He says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was, the, it was he who sent me to bring you this good news. And now, since you didn't believe what I said, you won't be able to speak until the child is born, for my words will certainly come true at the proper time. And he wouldn't be able to speak. He'd be struck, you know, uh, dumb, but also deaf, it seems. You know, people were giving him gestures too as he gave gestures to them. He would have so much time to contemplate what God had promised him and to wait. He'd had silence for the next nine months because of that doubting. But, you know, I think for all of us, that's a great challenge. Many of us have known God for a long time and yet we've come over some of the most incredible faith walks that we have. You know, some of us have faced, you know, illness and, and God has helped us through that. And, and sometimes we've faced, you know, wounding from our past and we've moved through that. But then all of a sudden something so small and trivial will trip us up and we'll go, wow, I don't believe God you can help me through that. Just like Zechariah. As you prepare for this Christmas and as you prepare for God coming, don't be like that. Be someone who trusts God wholeheartedly. The results, 23 says he stayed at the temple. Everyone was wondering you know, what, what had happened. People came out and, and he started gesturing to them and they realised he must have seen something. 23 says he stayed at the temple until his term of service was over and then he returned home. Soon after, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. Zachariah was stricken with silence. Uh, Elizabeth rejoices and says thank you so much to God for what he has done. She um, gives thanks to him. So as we just move through that little section there, there are some things that we can really see. You know, are we being godly before God? Are we those kind of people that are wanting to submit to God and obey his commands in all that we do? Because God came in a mighty way to them and, and, and he was able to use these submissive, humble people. At the same time, even in the midst of it, we see that John, the, the, the boy that was going to be born, would be great because of the disciplines in his life. And the question is, how much am I putting into my life the kind of things that help me grow into the kind of person that God can use in mighty ways? That's good questions for us this morning. The other thing that I think we just want to uh, not, not leave is the fact that even this godly man, this godly man, Zechariah, had a response of doubt when everything was pointing towards him having faith. Don't you get complacent about your faith. Just want to quickly now touch on the birth of Jesus, which was foretold, a coming king. This is what it says in 26 to 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favoured woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be frightened, Mary, the angel told her, for God has decided to bless you. You will become pregnant and have a son and you are to name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High and the Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor David and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom 
will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can I have a baby? I'm a virgin. The angel said, but the Holy, Spirit will come up, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby born to you will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her own age, People used, in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she's already in her sixth month for nothing is impossible with God. Mary responded, I'm the Lord's servant and I'm willing to accept whatever he wants. May everything you have said come true. Then the angel left. I want you to notice here in this time, Mary, from all appearances, was an ordinary girl. She seemed to be typical of young women in her age, young, young girls. Um, she came from an ordinary town, Nazareth. This was not an, a well-known place. It was even mentioned in the Old Testament and in uh, Josephus' writings. Uh, it wasn't mentioned at all. It wasn't even referred to. It was out of the back blocks and something that was not important. Na- Nazareth was said to be shoddy, uh, corrupt. It was a halfway stop between Tyre and Sidon. And God chose to come to a, a girl there to bring his good news. Now, this is the kind of place, Nazareth, in John chapter 146, um, where... Uh, you know, um, Nathaniel came and um, he, he said, when he heard about Jesus coming from Nazareth, he said, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? It's a pretty bad reputation. Um, I think this was a pretty out-of-the-spot way. And in Mary's eye, in, the, in Mary, in the eyes of the world, would have been very ordinary too. She was too young to know much. You know, estimates are that she was somewhere between 12 years old and 14 years old at this time. Um, As with all poor peasants, she was illiterate and her knowledge of the scripture would would have been limited to only what she could memorise and remember. And she would have done that and done that in the synagogue, memorising scripture. And from all indicators, her life would, would have been very ordinary, anything but extraordinary. She would marry humbly, she'd give birth to numerous poor children and she'd never travel farther than a few miles from home and she'd die, uh, and one day she'd die like a thousand others before her. That's what was in front of her. Nobody thought of her in an out-of-place middle you know, town out of nowhere. But to this ordinary girl, the most extraordinary things happened. God sent the angel Gabriel and to her a virgin named Mary. And it says that she was engaged to be married to Joseph. And the angel says to her in verse 28, Greetings, favoured woman. Greetings, favoured woman. This girl, 12 to 14, was favoured by God. Why? Well, this woman Mary would be favoured because she would be the only woman in all of history to ever give birth to a child conceived by the Holy Spirit. Uh, God would bring a baby from her womb supernaturally by his power. This baby would be the saviour of the whole world. He would be God in the flesh. This baby would carry some of the characteristics of Mary in in his appearance. He would grow in her womb. She would hold in her stomach the creator 
of the heavens and earth. What an incredible thing for Mary to do. Greetings, favoured woman. The Lord is with you. No wonder it says in verse 29 that she was confused and disturbed and she tried to understand what the angel could mean, wouldn't you? I mean, what would this mean? And again, the angel says, Hey Mary, don't be frightened, for God has decided to bless you. A humble girl of lowly estate in the middle of nowhere, God has just decided to bless you. I think she would have been a girl that God knew was humble, would be obedient, would be willing to do what God was calling her to do. He says, you will become pregnant and have a son and you're to name him Jesus. And what an incredible declaration that this one in her stomach would be the one that would reign as king forever and ever. Hey, Mary asked this question. This is completely different to Zachariah's question. He said, she said, how can I have a baby? I'm a virgin. I think this is just a practical question, don't you? It's a good question. Like she knew that she hadn't slept with Joseph at this stage and you just got to figure out. It's, it's a good question. And I think for us to ask God some questions at times like that when we're not sure is quite okay. It's different to saying, God, I don't believe you can do this. This is a question for more information, please. And I think when we cry out to God, I think it's good to ask him, hey, how's this going to happen? I'm trusting in you. I just want to know more. Would you show me more? So this wasn't a doubting question. It was an explanation question. And the, and the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby will be born, will be called the Son of God. You know, Mary responded with belief. She responded with trust. She responded with a dependence on God that said, God, I'm going to ponder what you're doing and I'm going to believe that what you're saying is true. And it responded in her giving herself wholeheartedly actively to God. As we uh, come now to Christmas, I want you to see that what Mary did was incredible. She was a humble servant. She was open to God. She pondered what the angel had said. She took time to think about the implications of what God was doing and what he was doing in her life. And she willingly said yes. It would have been hard to do that, you know, uh, she would have known that she would be questioned. In fact, you know, Joseph would have doubted at first. Um, it, it, she knew that the death penalty was prescribed for adultery and though it was no longer carried out. The New Testament records that Jesus' enemies, uh, on one more than one occasion, implied that he was illegitimate. So Mary would carry this for the rest of her life. But in light of that, her response is so wonderful. She says, I'm the Lord's servant. I'm willing to accept whatever he wants. May everything you have said come true. And the angel left. This Christmas, as we prepare, I want to invite you to say with me, I'm the Lord's servant. Uh, whatever he calls me to do, I will do. Some from our church are going to Bible college next year and going down to BCV in Victoria and saying, I'm going to serve in that way. It could be for you that there's something that you know God's been calling you to do, but you've been resisting. Maybe like Zechariah, doubting. 
that he's able to do what he senses he's calling you to do. might be a change of job or a trusting in an area that you've really found it impossible to trust before. Uh, it's interesting that God's not looking for rich people, gifted people, people that are famous. He's able to use a humble girl from out the back of nowhere to do great things. What's God saying to you? Would you just say to him, God, be it to me as you've promised. Why don't we pray this morning? Oh God, we want to say yes to you like Mary did. Oh God, we want to live lives that are godly like Elizabeth and Zechariah. And God, we want to be those that are used by you to do great things in this place, Wodonga, Auburn, in the regions, in our families, in our lives. Oh God, we surrender to you and we say, yes, Holy Spirit. Yes, Lord Jesus. Have your way in us. God, we thank you for working and acting decisively, bringing your son into this world so that we can be forgiven, we can be set free, and we can have life. We want to live that life to the full. Yes, Lord Jesus, we're yours. Amen.